I was studying for a social studies final a couple of weeks ago when my sophomore in high school daughter was studying. And so I was reminded that you can't understand the Korean War without knowing what World War II is about, and you really can't understand what World War II is about without knowing what World War I was about, which doesn't make sense really unless you know about the Victorian era, which I could go on, right? The same happens in Scripture. This text from Acts that we just heard Bridget read can't make sense if we don't understand the prophecy of Amos, which comes 800 years before the happenings of Acts. And that prophecy is only understandable if you really get the reasons for rivalry between the southern and northern kingdoms after Solomon, who was the son to David, you might know. So, let me help. But before I do, let me just say the theme of the good news for tonight is restoration, putting back together what has fallen apart. And so whatever you bring into this space from your life that has fallen apart, or maybe it's in the the life of our community or nation, whatever it is that you might bring that you feel like is kind of broken, that's what this Scripture is speaking to. All divided things, all broken things that were created to be united will be restored. That's the promise of God. That's what Peter, Paul, and the Jerusalem church are discovering again in this text for tonight. It's an old theme that they all should have, like, remembered. They'd been told uh, about this theme of restoration their whole lives, much as we have. But it's easy to kind of think, well, you know, those lessons, they pertain to people back then in those circumstances, but my circumstances are different. These times are special. And they are. They're unique to certain extents. But that's what God is trying to say through Scripture is, I'm God in all the eras, all the generations, through all the circumstances. And notice the themes that keep repeating. And one is that I put back together what you all have fall apart. So King David, you might know, he sets up his capital in Jerusalem. He reigns over a united kingdom. All the tribes of Israel have one king. But within a century after David dies, the tribes split into a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. Why, you may ask? Well, a lot of the same reasons for divisions we experience in our nation today. Race, rural versus urban, an education gap, political divisions, religious practices were different in different areas. And so all of them become different reasons for the north and the south kind of being torn apart. For Israel and Judah, it all starts after King David's son Solomon dies. So in 921 B.C., this is like 3,000 years ago, after Solomon dies, southerners say later that the northerners worship in the wrong places, they worship with the wrong rituals, They've got this rebellious spirit about them, and that rebellious spirit is fueled by by politics and religious practices of people that aren't Jewish, namely Canaanites and Phoenicians. You can't let those outsiders corrupt you, was basically the message of the South. And another thing, 
Northerners weren't afraid to leave people behind financially, according to Southerners, of course. A core value for the people of the United Kingdom was their equality before God. Believing that God loved them all equally, they looked out for each other. Widows, orphans, the sick, those in need. And yet, some in the north, after Solomon dies by this time, are flouting wealth while others are destitute. Becoming rich was becoming a value instead of tending to those in need or those on the margins. So, these are the divisions that have broken this united kingdom apart. Ten of the twelve tribes are breaking away from Judah and Benjamin, which are basically Jerusalem and the surrounding area. It's like there's Jerusalem and then everything else. Amos is a prophet in the Old Testament. He speaks into this moment in the 700s B.C. Amos is among the earliest prophets whose writings appear in our Bible. He's from the south, so Jerusalem, and he's famous for warning the north that their disobedience to God is going to get them in big trouble, otherwise known as judgment. Amos says, you're going to be judged and it's not going to be pretty. I'm putting words in his mouth. I'm summarizing. But a foreign power is going to destroy you because you're not staying faithful to God. You're listening to other people who worship other gods. Now, Amos doesn't say this to be mean. He wants everybody to be reunited. He wants the ten tribes to come back to the fold. He wants restoration. The reason I'm telling you all this is because in Acts, what we heard just now as our reading, there is, about halfway through the reading we heard, there's a silence. And eventually, James speaks into that silence. And he says, you know, what's happening here and now in Jerusalem, this division that we're experiencing right now between should the Gentiles be allowed to be a part of the church or not, and if they are allowed, must they or must they not be circumcised? This division that we're trying to hash out, it's happened before. Remember Amos, he says, our prophet? Amos said there would be judgment for the divisions that had happened, but that wasn't all. His last word was this, James reminds them. On that day, says the Lord, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. I'll repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, in order that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that are called by my name, says the Lord. In other words, God's going to put it back together because that's what God does. James is talking 850 years or so after Amos said what Amos said. Amos was talking about how God was going to restore the kingdoms eventually, these 12 tribes into one united kingdom because, again, that's what God does. God restores. James, though, 850 years later, he's living in a time when the people listening to him have just suffered the destruction of their temple by the Romans, a whole new kind of catastrophe. They, in their own day, James is speaking to people who crave restoration. Will God restore us, they wonder? Because this is a special circumstance. This has never happened before. But for those who have come to believe in Christ, the question 
we'd have, I guess, for them is, what is it that they want to see restored? I mean, that's what James is asking. In the crowd that he's speaking to, everyone is a believer, a follower of Jesus. Some have grown up Jewish, some have not. And so what is it that they seek restoration for? Like, what would it look like? I mean, imagine all these leaders in one room. Those present have come to believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus was resurrected and worthy of worship. What does it mean to crave restoration in a world where so much has changed? Do they just want the temple to get rebuilt? Have everything like it was before? That can't be the hope. Because things aren't the same as they were before. They now live in a world where the Messiah they'd been waiting for has been born. And then he died and didn't stay dead. So restoration has to mean a lot more than simply making the temple great again. The restoration God is up to in the early church is something far broader and deeper than something that will only touch the chosen people of God, the Jews. God is seeking to restore humanity to God's self, not just the Jewish people. This is all so much bigger than some understood. So you hear it in this text we just read. There are Gentiles, non-Jews, coming to believe in Jesus. Wonders and signs are happening among them. For five chapters in Acts, before this text we just heard read, we hear stories about how God's Spirit is poured on Gentiles, and real things are happening among them in the name of the Lord. But then we hear that certain people are coming from Judea saying, you know, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. This was the old way before Jesus. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant between the sons of Abraham and God. But the good news of Jesus is meant to extend far beyond the sons of Abraham. God has fulfilled the covenant through Jesus, and now, and this is the point tonight, instead of worrying about who gets to be in or how to get people in, now followers of Jesus are simply tasked with living into the what. And the what is the good news that the church turns no one away, that the church's doors are open. Gentiles are as welcome as Jews. Women are as welcome as men. There's no age restriction on who gets baptized, no intellectual qualification either. Last week's text was about an Ethiopian eunuch being welcomed into a baptized life. This week's text continues that theme. The thing is, in every generation, the church asks these questions again. Well, but are these people welcome? Do these people get to be in here? What must be done in order to keep those people here? What must be done by people in order to stay in God's good grace? What behaviors, what confessions must be done or said in order to show that you or I are in? And that's where I want to introduce you to this idea. In chapter 15, verse 8, part of the reading for tonight, Peter says, God is a, this is a Greek word, cardionastes. I don't even need to translate that, right? You know what that is. God, I had to look it up. God is a knower of the heart. 
cardionastas. God can make judgments beyond external criteria that the rest of us see. We judge each other based on a lot of messed up rules. God is meant to be the true judge and bases judgment on what God sees inside the heart because God is a knower of the heart. It's not up to any of us to determine who gets to be in, who keeps God's grace, or who does not. Our task is simply to love our God by loving our neighbor, remembering that everyone is our neighbor. It's actually that simple. God's restoration is begun in Christ, no matter what we do or don't do. This is God's work restoring the universe unto God's self, not ours. We help as we follow God, but God's work is begun. It's been so effective, this restoring all of humanity to God's self, that even you and I have been brought into the fold, Gentiles as maybe all of us are. It's been so effective that we are among God's community, and so we seek to grow it further by loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, remembering that everyone is our neighbor. Thanks be to God. Amen.